right. Welcome once again, everybody, to Resurrection Weekend. I want to take just a minute to say hello to our church family at other campuses, to those of you who chose to stay away on spring break and join us online. It's so great to have you joining us from the beach. We're not jealous at all. Great to have you here. And then for all those in the correctional facilities all across the state, come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other one more time. So great to have you with us. If you'd like to follow along, you can jump in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're going to work our way through the book of Mark today. And then we're going to end actually in Luke 24. So if you want to follow along in the Word, you can do that. Of course, you can open up the iTown Church app and follow along, take notes there as well, or just jot some things down. I think it's important to take notes as we study God's Word. And uh, if you don't know me, I grew up in church. My grandfather was a pastor. And so Easter has always been church all day long. I don't know if any of you grew up in one of those environments that we actually would go to the sunrise service. The church would have a special service that was different than all the other ones. And it was literally as the sun rose to celebrate the fact that it was the moment that Jesus like came to life, except for it had about the same attendance as the actual tomb. Like nobody really came. <laughs> it was pretty unsuccessful. But you know, it was one of those things. You just get up early and uh, you put on your white pants and your jacket that you got that year that you'll never wear ever again with the sleeves that are way too long, trying to look nice. And then our church would have donuts, and I don't know where they bought them. They must have bought them on like Thursday or something because they'd always be stale. I just remember that they were terrible, but I really wanted one because that was, you know, the, the enticement of if you come to the early service, we'll give you, we'll give you a donut. And then, uh, of course, we built our own traditions since then. We do... Uh, sometimes we do Easter egg hunts with the kids. We always do the resurrection eggs. They get a little Easter basket with a bunch of candy because that's what Easter's for is getting sick on, uh, on weird candy that you don't eat the rest of the year. And I remember one year my mom did an Easter egg hunt for the kids and she put a bunch of money in the eggs and that broke out into like some kind of a weird fight. And so that definitely felt like it missed the mark for what Easter is all about. And, uh, and really, as I was studying and preparing for this weekend, it really hit me. I, th I think that we all kind of understand it. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, we all get it, that the resurrection is like really significant, it's really important. But uh, I think today we ought to pause for a minute and think about the fact, acknowledge the simple fact that if there is no resurrection, like we really have nothing. If, if the whole thing was a lie and the disciples actually stole his body and made the whole thing up, like, we're the most wretched fools on planet Earth and, and we really have nothing to hold on to. In fact, I wanna take you for a minute to 1 Corinthians 15 before we get to the account that we'll study in Mark because Paul actually writes about this. He, he, he talks about this thought. In chapter 15 and verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. And we apostles are all lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Basically what Paul is saying, here's the dismal reality. If there is no resurrection, then our preaching is pointless. Our faith is foolish. 
The disciples were deceivers, that sin is actually sovereign, that death has dominion, and that we should be fearful of the future. Everything in Christianity, everything about our faith, everything about our culture, all of it crumbles if the resurrection isn't real. Which is why I'm so thankful for that very next phrase. Verse 20, he says, but in fact. I don't know if you realize this, but there's a few really big buts in Scripture. And none of us are really thankful for a really big but, especially when it comes to Easter. I think it's some type of sick joke that for whatever reason, this particular community takes spring break right before Easter. Hey, let's all go away. Let's have no discipline and eat whatever we want for an entire week and then put on the tightest outfit of the year. (laughs) Nobody was thankful for a big butt this morning, but I'm thankful (laughs) for the big butt in Scripture because he says, but in fact, read this with me, Christ has been raised From the dead. Come on, all of our campuses, one more time. Christ has been raised from the dead. One more time, like you believe it today. Christ has been raised from the dead. Aren't you thankful for that today? That's a big but. And praise God for it. Christ has been raised from the dead, which means that our preaching is profitable, our faith is feasible. The disciples are dependable. Sin has been subdued. Death has been defeated. And our future is fantastic because we will rule and reign with Christ. He causes us to triumph because the power that lives on the inside of us is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. Is there anybody alive in this Baptist church this morning? That's good news. The resurrection, most significant event in human history. Now, In the book of John, which is quite a different book from the other Gospels, John makes, has Jesus make seven different I am statements. And it's a fascinating study. In fact, we've taught series about it in the past. Jesus says things like, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. On one of these occasions, he's speaking to Martha, and many of you probably know the story. Lazarus is the famous guy that Jesus raised to life. So Lazarus was sick when they called for Jesus' help. But Jesus didn't come when they wanted him to, and so Lazarus died. And now all of the people in the family and their relatives are all having this crisis of faith. Like, why didn't God do what we wanted? Why didn't he do what we asked? It doesn't seem right that he didn't get here when he should have. And Mary is so despondent that she doesn't even come out to meet Jesus, but Martha does, and Jesus is having this exchange with her. In John chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So he's saying to her, Martha, I am resurrection power. And I know there are situations in life that get pretty dark and pretty dismal. And I know it feels like death has overcome you. But I want you to know, if you'll just believe in me, that there's no death that's ever final. There's no situation that you walk through in this life that will have the final say because I have the power over death. And then he asks her the same question that I believe he asks us this Easter. Do you believe this? Do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in Jesus? 
The title of the message this year is, What Will It Take for You to Believe? What will it take? Because I'm willing to bet there's a couple different groups of people here. There's probably those of you that we would call you a creaster. You come to church twice a year on Christmas and Easter because somebody drug you. You love somebody that's all crazy about this Jesus nonsense, and you're not really ready to accept it all for yourself. You might be a little skeptical, uh, just not sure where you land on the whole thing, but you love your mom, you love your grandma, whoever it is, and you just appease them. So you put on clothes everywhere, and you come to church, and it's all well and fine. Then there's others of you here today that maybe you do love the Lord, you believe in him, and yet there's a situation that you're facing. There's something that you're walking through in this life. There's, there's some hell, some death experience that you're having, and you're struggling to make it personal, struggling to believe that resurrection power could be for you. I want you to know that you're in good company today because we're gonna study the disciples for a couple of minutes and these guys walked with Jesus for three and a half years. They witnessed more miracles than any human alive. They heard his teaching. They had access to moments that no one else had access to, as we'll see in a minute. And they were the greatest skeptics of all. They were the hardest to convince on resurrection morning. The first thing that we notice, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, is that they did not believe what Jesus said. I don't know if you realize this, but there's three very specific and distinct times in Scripture that Jesus told his disciples exactly what would happen to him. And it shows up in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't know if you know much about your Bible, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels because they're all very similar to one another. They're firsthand accounts from different perspectives, but they all have very similar common stories, and they bring out different facts a little bit because they're human. But John just kind of goes off the rails, and he tells all his own stories and does his own thing. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all kind of the same, and we're going to follow the accounts in Luke, and excuse me, in Mark. In Mark chapter 8, we find the first prophecy right after Jesus feeds thousands of people. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And then Peter grabbed him, took him aside, and rebuked him. Jesus turned to Peter and and his disciples. He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, keep in mind, this is pretty harsh, Jesus speaking to Peter, and it's just a couple of days after he told Peter, Peter, you are the rock that I'm going to build this church on. The gates of hell will not prevail against it because Peter was the one that had the revelation. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, we're going to change the world together. And just a couple of days later, here's Peter being called Satan. How many of y'all know it's okay to be hot and cold a little bit? Peter's just a mess. If God can use Peter, God can use all of us, right? <laughs> Praise God for that. I, th- I think it's fascinating just a chapter later in chapter 9, we have this Mount of Transfiguration. And this is not one of the three prophecies, but it should have been a clue for the three who were closest to Jesus. Peter, James, and John had this relationship with Jesus that no one else had. They had experiences that no one else had. 
And they were there at the, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. That was the moment that Jesus began to shine and glow bright white. And all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses appear. And they're having this incredible conversation with Jesus. And Peter, like the fool that he is, decides that's a moment that he ought to interject something. And he starts talking about building temples or monuments to these people. Which, again, Peter's just an idiot. Like, the guy just can't get it all together. He's just like, maybe we should. You know those people that talk when you're like, really? This is not a moment that your voice should be heard. <laughs> so that all of a sudden, Peter's done blabbering, and, and, and the Bible says in a moment, Elijah and Moses disappear, and they're coming down the mountain. This is verse 9 of Mark chapter 9. Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Doesn't seem like something you should have to discuss, but who knows? So these three guys have an extra clue. So then we go to prophecy number two. That's in Mark chapter nine. Drop down now to verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. After three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So this is number two. He told them exactly what to expect. He told them exactly what was going to happen, and they still just not getting it. Now, the third one takes place in Mark chapter 10. They're about to go to Jerusalem. And any of you have ever led anybody in your life, you know a good leadership principle is to help everybody that you're leading to be prepared for what happens next. I don't know if there are any parents in the room, but good parenting says you need to prepare your kids. Like I remember when we would go on long trips, uh, especially when our three girls, our three girls are very close together. That's our first three of the six. And uh, they are they are like, they were three, two, and one. And so we would go on vacation and Kate would say things to them like, we're gonna be in the car because of course we were driving somewhere to the south, probably to the beach. And she would say, this is going to take 24 Caillou shows. <laughs> like this is a long time. Y'all remember that show? That was terrible. That whiny kid fussing all the time. Man, I just, did, I did so distasteful. Thunder's four, and he does not get to watch preschool programming. It's like, sorry, bro, I've lived through that. That hell is over in my life. I don't care. You're going to watch something your, kid, your sisters are watching. You're going to like golf. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just is what it is. Thunder's a, a wild one because, you know, most of us have a certain level of like, there's a certain level of, I don't know if you call it, I don't know, shyness or embarrassment or like a healthy level of shame that you should have. Like, I think it's good. It kind of governs culture, you know, but Thunder doesn't have it. And so when we go places, in fact, I took him to the store yesterday. It's like, okay, buddy, listen, we're going into the store. These people are not our friends. We do not know any of them. I'm sure they're all very nice. They do not want to talk to you. We do not need to talk to them. We are just going in to buy things. This is not, you're not running for office. We're not trying to win anything here. You're just going to be quiet, okay? Okay. Because we get into the store, and I kid you not, he's like, hey, Dad, what's that guy doing? He's like standing two feet away. The guy's looking at him. Yeah, you. What are you doing? 
Why are you buying that? Why is he sitting on that tractor? I don't know, Thunder. I don't know, son. Like this, that, we're not supposed to talk to these people. This is not, you ask uh, somebody in the Midwest too many personal questions, they're gonna be like, what do you work for the government? What, who, what business is it yours if I'm buying a fridge? What do you care? My personal business. Step off, four-year-old. So Jesus is like, look, here we're going somewhere. This is what to expect. And this is the most vivid account. And keep in mind, this is days ahead of everything that unfolds. We're going up to Jerusalem, verse 33. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles, which are the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later... He will rise. Three times, very clearly, Jesus prophesies exactly what is going to happen. But they did not believe him. When Jesus stood trial, only Peter and John were there. When Jesus hung on the cross, only John present. Resurrection morning, Exactly zero people were waiting for him to come to life. I'm going to die. Three days later, I will rise. Said it three times. And according to the accounts that John gives us, maybe as many as six or seven, very plainly, very clearly telling his team exactly what was going to happen, but at the end of the day, they just didn't believe what he said. I want you to know that God has sent messages to us as human beings on earth. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 that his invisible qualities, his divine nature, his incredible power has been revealed in the beauty of nature and in the complexity of the world that we live in. You really, you're hard pressed to really look at all of creation and be like, yeah, I think it probably just exploded and everything just worked out perfectly. So Paul even concludes people without excuse. I mean, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three expressions. And he put himself all throughout creation. And us, we are a spirit. We live in a body. We have a soul. We're three in one just like God. Water can be a solid, a liquid, and a gas. Time is past, present, and future. Space is latitude, longitude, and altitude. God had put himself in all of creation so that we would find him. And then he sent us his word that promises us all these amazing blessings that we could find peace and that we could find joy and that we could find freedom if we would just live life his way and surrender to him. And yet it's hard for us. We remain skeptical. We just don't believe, like the disciples, what God said. But it didn't stop there for the disciples. No, they didn't believe also what others saw. Jot it down if you're taking notes. They didn't believe what others saw. I think it's fascinating. The Bible tells us that the women were the first to discover the empty tomb. In fact, it's one of the greatest evidences of the fact that it wasn't a made-up story because had the first century church created a fabricated lie about the resurrection, they never would have hinged the story on women because they were not considered credible witnesses. They were not even allowed in the court of law in those days. 
Isn't it just like God to mess up the status quo and to bring women to the tomb first? And so Mary Magdalene, she runs to tell Peter and John. And then an angel speaks to the remaining women. And then Jesus himself speaks to Mary Magdalene and then to the other women. If you jump over to Mark chapter 16 now, in verse 9 it says, When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. In fact, in Luke, you find probably the most offensive account where they just said, they, their words just sounded like nonsense. We're not listening to these women. We don't believe what they said. Well, then in verse 12 of Mark 16, afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of the disciples who were walking along the road in the country. If you go to Luke chapter 24, you can read the story about what we call the road to Emmaus, where Jesus comes alongside these guys and they're walking along and they can't tell that it's Jesus. And they're just all flustered about the events of the last several days. And Jesus is like, what are y'all talking about? And they're like, man, have you been living under a rock? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what's happened, that Jesus was crucified and now his body's missing and we're not really even sure what to make of it. And then Jesus walks them through all of the law and all of the prophets and all of what Moses had said and reveals himself to them. And they still don't see him, but because it's evening time, they compel him to come and stay with them. And Jesus comes and has this meal. And now as they begin to eat, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And all of a sudden their eyes were open and they realized that it was Jesus. And then probably the coolest thing to me that happened, Jesus then just, just disappeared. Wouldn't that be cool to be able to do? I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome in eternity. You just get stuck in a conversation you don't like, you can just disappear. <laughs> Gone. Just amazing. And so these two guys are like, we've seen him. He's alive. That Verse 13, they returned and they reported it to the rest. But guess what? They didn't believe them either. So here they have firsthand accounts of people who have witnessed Jesus and seen him alive, yet they didn't believe. Same thing's true for some of us. We struggle to believe that God will heal us, that God will restore our marriage or save our kids, and yet we hear stories of God doing that in other people's lives. Some of you are struggling to believe skeptical about the existence of God, the power of resurrection, and yet you've got that grandparent that's been praying for you. You've got that classmate that talks about the Lord. You have people in your life that know and love Jesus, and yet you're like, I'm just not really sure. What will it take for you to believe? For the disciples, jot this down as we close. They only believed what they themselves experienced. They only believed what they experienced. If you go to Luke chapter 24, we're now at the end of the account of the guys from Emmaus. They have just arrived and they're rejecting what the Emmaus guys are saying. But while they're still talking about it, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now this is fascinating because if you go to the account in John, he gives us this interesting detail that the door was locked because they were freaked out, hiding from the Jews. So Jesus comes through the wall 
and just appears, just like he had disappeared from the disciples in Emmaus. He just poof, appears in the middle of them. It's like, y'all need to chill out for a minute. Peace. And they were astonished and frightened, verse 37, because they thought they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you got, you got something to eat? It's so funny. They gave him a piece of fish. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you when I was with you. Listen, do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand. And he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Here's the key. And you are witnesses of these things. You see, the key for the disciples is they heard what Jesus had said. They heard what other people had experienced. But it wasn't until they witnessed it themselves that they believed. That word witness means to experience firsthand, to see for yourself. I want you to know that God has sent messages to you that you've probably heard of his love and of his grace. There's a longing on the inside of all of us to find something bigger than us. God put that there so that we would find our way to him and yet sometimes we still struggle. God put that grandparent, that classmate, that person who knows the Lord in your life to tell you of the goodness of God and yet maybe still you're struggling that God could do it for you or that God is even real. What I want you to hear this Easter is that God wants to bust through the locked doors of your life. And I believe this weekend he's knocking on the door of your heart because he doesn't want you just to hear what other people have said. He doesn't want you just to read the word. He wants you to experience his presence and his power for yourself. He wants you to reach out and see that the wounds are real, that his power is for today, and that he can touch your life more than you could possibly imagine. Because the resurrection is not an event that we study from thousands of years ago. Resurrection is an experience. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to close this service praying that God would stir your faith and help you to believe. Whatever situation that you're facing, whatever hell or death you're walking through, I wanna to pray today that you would make this faith, make this experience personal, that what God has done for someone else, he will do for you. And if you'll open your heart to him, I promise that he will show up in your life. Some of this Easter maybe are far from God, a skeptic. 
lots of reasons why we get there. Maybe you've never known the Lord. Maybe you've had horrible experiences with religion or religious people. Or maybe even you've walked through an experience that, like Martha, you just can't reconcile a loving God with the pain that you've walked through. And it doesn't seem like God has fulfilled your expectations. I want you to know, doesn't mean he's not God. It just means that there are things in this life that we can't always understand. But I can tell you that he loves you. He's not out to judge you. He's not trying to condemn you. Not trying to get even with you. And all the significance, the satisfaction, the security that you're looking for in money and sex and drugs, power, all of it is found in Jesus. If you'll give him your life today, I promise you'll experience his love, his joy, his peace, his freedom. Because he wants you to be a firsthand witness. Maybe that's you. You feel that stirring in your heart. Man, don't let this moment pass. There are no accidents in God's world. You're here because he's been pursuing you. This is your moment. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to have you come to the front. It's not my goal to embarrass you in front of your friends or your family today. I just want to connect you to the reason why we're celebrating. To the Jesus who died in your place. Maybe you're ready. You feel that stirring in your heart. You think, man, it's time for me to experience him for myself time for me to place my trust in him. Maybe for some of you, it's time for you to come back to a relationship with the Lord. I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. If that's you at any of our campuses today, before we pray, just as a point of connection, crossing a line of faith in your heart, if you say, Dave, that's me, and I'm ready to pray that prayer, would you just lift your hand up high for just a moment as no one's looking around? Come on, right now, just put your hand up high. Say, count me in. Yeah. Amazing. You can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. I repent of all of my sin. I believe that you died on a cross and were raised to life three days later. And today I make you my Lord. Take control of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to be a witness of your power. In Jesus' name I pray. God, I thank you for every person here. Lord, we celebrate one more time that there's no death that we face in this life that is ever final. We thank you that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. God, I pray that every single person here would experience firsthand resurrection power. Help us to believe today that you are the resurrection and the life. One more time, we say thank you for coming to rescue us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen, amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer? 
Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless. Thank you.